Well, hello everybody. I'd like to welcome you to everyone's, uh, everyone to today's How to Franchise Simply teleconference. Um, I'm really thrilled actually today to have have Robin Pierce on the uh, on the line with us. Robin is someone I've got enormous respect for and has a tremendous reputation in her field. Um, one of uh, basically, she's known as the Time Queen, so gives you an idea. And the title that um, we've got for this this week's teleconference is helping franchisors and franchisees grab back their most precious commodity, more time. Something that we can all do with, I'm sure. So, um, having said that, uh, great to have the opportunity of getting Robin here. She's on the on the line from New Zealand. I'm looking forward to hearing quite a lot of gems from uh, from Robin. I know that she's uh, got a tremendous reputation, a lot of experience, and certainly um, is very skilled in what she does. So, do make a note uh, uh, of any points that come up uh, while you're listening to the call. And... Uh, I'm recognising here that Robin's background is very extensive in what she does, but she's got a good understanding of franchising, and that helps her be able to give a practical spin, I suppose, or put a practical point of view onto what she's doing. So anyone who's just joined us since I started the call, just a reminder to star six on your phone to avoid any background noise. So what I'd like to do is to uh, welcome Robin and uh, say, Robin, um, what attracted you to the field that you're in in the first place? What made you get involved in, you know, the sort of time and decluttering aspect of what you do? Oh, that's a good question, Brian, and thanks very much for inviting me to participate. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. The, um, the short answer to that question is I was really bad at time management, and on, although that sounds like a fairly weird kind of introduction for somebody who's been now a specialist in the field for 20 years, um, it is the absolute honest truth. <laughs> a, a friend uh, said to me one day in some frustration whilst I was having a pity party, moaning and complaining because I just didn't have enough hours, for goodness sakes, Robin, go and get a decent diary. And that, Brian, was the beginning of the journey. And all sorts of things have flowed out of that. But that, I was, at the time, I was close to 40 and still struggling. And <laughs> even though I'd raised six kids and um, had... Um, was in real estate I after having been on a farm and had the country living and all that sort of thing the uh, the way to manage time was a bit of a mystery to me to be quite frank and what happened when I got the diary system that my friend pointed me to after he'd thrown his hands up metaphorically in the air with me <laughs> was uh, that I got a diary system and that for the first time in my life outlined some of the core principles or constructs, if you like, as to how to make effective choices with our time. So that was the beginning. Okay. Yeah, look, and that's an interesting one. Um, I, I, goodness me, 15, 18 years ago, went to a uh, time management international program for a couple of days on time management and one of those fancy diaries with all sorts of partitions in it and everything else. And my whole life story and my businesses were in there. But since the advent, really, and more common use of computers, I've certainly found, and a lot of people I think share this, that it's actually distracted them from what were maybe their their good management practices. So I'm really interested to learn during the course of the call how these days, there's so many different tools out there, how you recommend it. So what I'd like to do is, uh, yeah, get you you into the program. And I guess that, um, you know, as a leader in your field, What's your definition of time management, Robin? Because I think that varies from person to person. <laughs> yes, it does, Brian, and it's varied for me over time as well. When I first looked at it as a beginner, I would have said it was how to use a diary. 
And then as I got a little bit further along, I realized there were four core elements to uh, have. If we had a reasonable coverage of them, we would be in a better position to make choices with all parts of our lives, and I'll list those in a moment, come back to that point. But the more recent observation that I have now, and that's come, come to me in the last few years, has been we're not just talking about time and its various components, we're talking also about energy and energy management. And if you think about it from that higher level thinking, it gives us a different framework because if we can work with our energy at the times when we've got peak energy, of course we'll be more productive. So and I don't know whether you've heard that particular angle. but Yes, yes, look, it's something I've been toying with actually is breaking my week up. And I don't want to bore everybody with my background, but uh, um, I, I've been trying to break the back of this for a long time varying successes but I've only recently recognised that energy element and it's made an enormous difference when I allocate my days or half days to particular energy fields if you like rather than jumping around from one task to another which are of completely different sort of emotional tasks if you like um, is that what you, what exactly. you say when you're talking about energy yes. Mm-hmm. It, 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 yes and you've actually given a slightly different spin on it as well Brian it's it's also making sure that you um, that you operate with high with, with the things that require the most attention. You make sure that you've got the time dedicated to do those things at the time when you've got the highest energy, because we'll do our best work when we're in, in higher energy um, time of day. And people do vary. Like for myself, I write a lot. Many a, I've written many books and articles and things like that. And I know that if I can't get my writing done first thing in the day. I'm not probably going to achieve as good a result and often won't get to it because that's the time of day that's my most creative. Another example might be for a business person, uh, they want to service their customers, they want to have their meetings uh, with people, they've got um, clients, suppliers, etc. Then there's all of the other admin sort of things. When do, when's the best time to do those things? So for a lawyer, for example, it might be... Um, um, it might be get the staff going and then shut the door and get on with some work. And, mm. and it, um, we've got people in all different industries, of course, listening to this, so I don't want to get too specific there. Yeah, but so case studies are useful. Oh, sorry, what was that? Okay, case studies or sort of analogies are useful because I think we can all relate to those and those help us understand. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I'll give you one more then. It is an accountant. It's just one that comes to mind, and I'm sorry it's not a franchise type um, um, business, but the parallels would still apply. There were two accountants, actually, that I was working with at the same time in, when I was living in Sydney, and one of them was a country accountant, and he found that the best time to be available for his customers was when, because many of them were farmers, was when they would come in from their, um, their farm chores, and it would be um, sort of breakfast time through to morning tea time. That was the time that they would tend to come in and, and um, want to ring the accountant for something, or it would be lunchtime. Whereas for a city accountant that I was also working with, he found that the time that he was best able to get his high-level work done and not be available for people was pretty much the times when the country accountant was being available. So, so it, you, there are various factors that you take into account, not only your energy, but also when the people around you are going to need yeah, you. That, that could be a challenge, can't it? Because if you've got a high-energy task, and I consider, you know, maybe maybe phone conversations and briefings and marketing um, with prospective 
clients, and clients can be, you need to be on the ball, so you don't want to do it late in the day when you're tired, perhaps, but if it's, if it's got to work when it suits them, you've got to change your work pattern, I guess, to be able to work in with it. How do you do that? Well, I suppose it comes down to what, what results you're wanting, doesn't it, Brian? Mm, yes, yes, yep, If you're absolutely. wanting these results, you, you are prepared to modify things in your world a little bit to get the results that you require. Like if you're wanting to get to somebody who has um, um, a team of support people around them, like a senior person, you might be better to ring before the gatekeepers get in the door, before yes. the secretaries or the receptionists mm, are on, mm, because often mm. those people will be there early or they will be there late. So sometimes you can get past the gatekeepers that way. Um, somebody wanting to set up a franchise, thinking of, or thinking about when the, their target is going to be likely to be available, and that leads us to another whole conversation about marketing, which I better not get sidetracked. No, on. that's right. But you know, in franchising, this is actually people don't recognise it, but I think it's a critical area, and it's one where um, a, a good franchisor um, that's going to get the best results needs to take the opportunity to train his franchisees as well as his own support office team in the skills of effective management because uh, their efficiency relates to the whole efficiency of the group and uh, oh, yes. their customer response right the way down the, the channel as it were. Absolutely and on that point let me just go back a step. Um, when I you asked, uh, uh, well I started to talk to you about what time management means to me, if I can just give you the four core elements if oh, we yeah. sort of step back one stage because they also become a training diagnostic, picking up on your point about training people. There are four elements, and they are talked about in a little bit more depth in a free report on my website, which I'll mention in a minute too. Uh, first one is the big picture. What is it we're wanting to achieve? So that's our goals, it's our strategy plans, it's the shape we want our business to be, the way we want our life to be. Um, it's about our health, it's our family, it's everything. So what is the big picture? Because if we understand what that is, then we're in a better position uh, to get, well, several things. Clarity and focus comes out of having clear goals. And also we can better apply what I believe is the most powerful time management tool we have, and that's one simple little word, and that's no. Now, that's not in a career-limiting nor in a relationship-limiting way, but if we have the ability to push back, defer, suggest alternatives to things that are not going to fit with our major life purpose and our major goals for all parts of our lives, if we have a clarity about that, then we're better able to use the word no or its variations in an appropriate way, which of course will then leave us enough time or more time to to deal with the second component, and I call all of this my toolbar of time, and I have it um, drawn up in the free report as a um, like a drop-down menu on a computer. So panel two or drop-down menu two is planning and prioritizing, and there are four core elements to how to plan and prioritize, and I won't go into depth on these on this call today because we won't have time to do them full justice. But if you know how to plan and prioritize effectively and you're doing some weekly planning in there, I'll just throw in that one key point. If you're doing some weekly planning and blocking in uh, longer-term value things, uh, you will. Uh, the outcome of that is that you will have more effective results. Then um, menu bar three, or me menu three, drop-down item three, is what I call the tips and techniques. And that's the shortcuts, the quick ways of doing things. It's a process improvement. It's the sort of thing that a good franchise will already have in place, 
And having said that, there is never an end to the process improvement. It's the continuous improvement. How can we do things better? How can we manage our emails better? How can we minimise the time spent in meetings? How can we manage our paperwork? It just goes on and on. All of those things, that are we using templates and systems? And the outcome of those tips and techniques is efficiency. And then the fourth element is what I call sanity gap which is the work-life balance and all of the things that spin out of that, which, of course, as an outcome, gives us quality of life. So just to recap, big picture, planning and prioritising, tips and techniques, and sanity gaps. And those are the four constructs or four core elements of time management. And to pick up the point about um, um, using it as a, a training tool, my observation over many years now has been that if people struggle with any one of those um, units or components, uh, they will be struggling with their time in some capacity. Yeah, so you need, you need to be rounded in addressing all of those to some level um, to be able to get, a, I suppose you say, an, over, an overall balance. Yes, and, and bearing in mind that there's no such thing as perfect balance. No, no. But if we, if we are um, having a reasonable skill set with each of those areas, we'll find that we've got our time reasonably well handled. Mm. And I, I must say that the tips and techniques, there's some absolute gold in there, and uh, the things that one slip from one's mind every now and again, you overlook it. They're something to look at and regularly and refresh, I think. Uh, certainly from my point of view, I have a habit, you know, I think we all inclined to have habits as far as time, personal management is concerned, but t- you sort of, you drop into bad habits and you, you forget there's actually some very simple solutions to some of these things that can cause you a lot of stress and angst and, you know, and upset your energy balance. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, so, you know, you deal with people in, um, in corporate areas, you deal with people in, um, you know, in government, local councils, that type of thing. Yes, um, I do and, all of those. Right yes, a lot of self-employed people as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, self-employed people really do need to be efficient because it can, admin these days can swell up most of your time if you allow it to. Well, so yes, absolutely. managing those, those sort of ogres, if you like, which they can be, they can really intrude, can't they? So why do you think it is this day and age time seems to be more of a scarcity than I, I certainly don't remember it having, you know, say 20 or 30 years ago, having the same emphasis, the same sort of priority, the same people weren't, didn't, didn't seem as anxious and under pressure for time? Oh, I think a simple answer is the digital world that we live in, Brian. And yep. you alluded to that right at the beginning. There's so many people that I work with that say with some wistfulness, oh, back in the days when things came by mail, we had time to think about things. Mm. We had time to process it. Uh, we could, uh, we, we didn't, nobody expected an answer instantly. And so we had, we, we actually did better quality work. We were able to be more focused. And that is the truth, actually. Now, we live in, the world has become faster and faster paced because of the digital world. Now, let me make it quite clear. I'm not for one second suggesting we go back away from it. I'm not um, wanting to be a Luddite at all. I love my email and I love the way that I can communicate with people fast. However, we also need to make sure that we're the ones that are, that the tools are for our service, not us being the servants of the tools. And it's so often we get hooked in on thinking that because something has just arrived, we have to answer it immediately. So it pushes people, if they're not careful, into a sense of urgency, a sense of overwhelm, a sense of immediacy, 
that in many cases is actually quite artificial. So constantly endeavouring to get a little bit above it. I talk about um, getting the helicopter view. If we get up, we, we need the ability to rise up above a situation and also to be able to come down, imagine that helicopter descending down to the ground and hovering just above things. But the ability to go up and down in our minds on things is a very valuable skill so that we can get above the noise chatter that comes with the digital means and increasing number of digital interruptors so that we stay focused on the things that we want to do and we we manage when the interruptions happen. And there's one really simple strategy, Brian, that, that can be, uh, instead, of, instead of just talking at a um, conceptual level uh, to throw in, um, in fact, two I'll give. One is to turn the email alerts off if you're sitting at a computer on a regular basis because we do not need, 99.9% .9 of us do not need to know that an email has just arrived. So get rid of that. And if you're not sure how to use it in your particular system, um, just do a look up in the help menu um, with Outlook. It's through the tools and the options area. But I won't go into detail because it depends which version of Outlook you're using. So turn off the Outlook, uh, the email alerts, and there are four of them in Outlook and similar numbers in Lotus. Um, the other one is to be prepared to turn off the mobile as well. Like I'm horrified the number of people who take their mobiles into their bedrooms and then will go, get up and go to the toilet in the middle of the night and be just quickly checking the emails or they'll be woken up with a text coming through or something like that. Absolutely true. It's Absolutely just not necessary. Uh... We used to have alarm clocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the trouble with the ubiquitous phone these days, it does everything to the point where you, you literally use it as your alarm clock and you... I got called out the other day exactly with that, an SMS from overseas, and uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I thought, what's that? <laughs> yes, and uh, even a vibrate will wake you up. If you've got it on vibrate, you turn the damn thing off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are qualifiers. Like everything I suggest has always a, um, got a qualifier on it that it's treated as a smorgasbord of ideas. There'll be a time when you're traveling somewhere, you haven't got an alarm clock, yet, or you absolutely have to wake up for a plane or something. So, of course, you'll use your phone, but 99% of the time, you don't need to have the phone in the bedroom. It's bringing the world into our space. The bedroom should be used for other things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm with, with you on that. You know, that was the single, in, in my discussions with you previously, Robin, that's the biggest single item, well, I suppose the item that's had the biggest sim, single impact on me was this business of turning the email alerts off. We were enjoying a dinner together um, <laughs> uh, probably about five or six months ago, and uh, we were talking about these sorts of things. And uh, I, I went through and I did that, and I programmed myself just to look at my emails first thing in the morning, very, very briefly, put them into a to-do box for later in the day, and then look at them sort of mid-late afternoon. And uh, the difference it's made is, uh, is quite striking. Um, and if I occasionally I break that rule or I have to, have to re reboot the computer and don't reset the outlook or something, it, I find it really quite distracting. So that, that's a huge, um, it's a huge item. Um, oh, thank you, Brian. I'd yes. recommend that to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, good on you. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Didn't know that was going to be the outcome of the dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, there we are. <laughs> no hangover and got my outlook sorted. <laughs> and uh, you've got back time. <laughs> that's it. Um, and certainly from your, your four... Um, 
uh, items that you gave us there from the point of view of your, your core elements, yeah. that business is saying no. Oh, that's, I, I'm one of those people that find that very hard. I suppose it comes from background and habit and all those sorts of things. And I suppose, um, but actually saying no because it doesn't suit you at this moment in time. So ruling your agenda rather than someone else keep pulling the strings uh, makes such an amazing difference. And people respect it in actual fact, you know. Sometimes you can be over-responsive. Well, I think they do. Um, and, and yes, you can be over-responsive. Here's a little phrase that might be useful for some people. We educate the people around us how to treat us. That brings me back to all the pet and children analogies, doesn't it? (laughs) And it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, we all—it's quite commonly accepted. I mean, we are what we've been taught to be, basically, except where we relearned. And we uh, can—if we decide that we're going to be a little bit more clear and um, uh, considered about the things that we take on, and start to push back where we used not to push back. It doesn't take very long before people start to learn. Like here's an example, and it would be relevant for people working in their own businesses or getting established in this way. I had been in real estate, and then I started my own business, which was the embryonic version of what I have today. This was 20 years ago. My favorite aunt was in the habit of ringing me on a reasonably regular basis, but when I was in the commercial world, uh, the external commercial world, she would ring me in the evenings for a chat. As soon as I started working at home, she thought, oh, good, Robin's just at home. Mm. And I got a, started getting phone calls at 10 o'clock in the morning or thereabouts when she'd be putting the kettle on to have a cup of coffee. I very quickly realized that for her, she then was in relaxed mode and she expected me to do the same. So my way of dealing with that, it wasn't to say, no, I don't want to talk to you. It was, oh, look, Peggy, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm in the middle of something. Can I call you tonight? Mm. So that yeah. would be an example. It's deferring, it's deflecting. Sometimes it's putting people onto other people or saying, look, I'm sorry, I just don't have the capacity to take that on or whatever it might be. But there, there are very diplomatic ways and that are not career limiting or relationship, relationship limiting to, um, to deflect things. Okay. Well, some of my questions may be a little bit repetitive from the point of view of things we've touched on. But from the point of view of someone who's just starting off in a small business or just launching a franchise, effectively a new business, what sort of issues should they get on top of right at the beginning from the point okay. of time management? That's a great question. There's three, three things I'll just touch on quickly. One is prioritizing and the free report. I'll just give you the, uh, where people can get that from so that I don't need to spend time talking about that right now. From our website, which is www.gettingagrip.com, gettingagrip. Com. That's taken from my first book title, Getting a Grip on Time. So gettingagrip.com, there's a free report in there called How to Master Time in Only 90 Seconds, and that drills down into the components about how to do the prioritizing. So that's step one, so that you're working on proactive, long-term things in, the, in a way that's appropriate, and we've touched on it a bit already. The number two is how to deal with the interruptions, and emails is part of those, but it's also part of the ability to say no, and we've just come, come up with a couple of examples there a minute ago. And then the third one, which we haven't touched on yet, is delegation. Mm-hmm. And when people are getting started in their own businesses, delegation is one of the things that we tend to put off. We can't quite afford it, or we can't afford it at all. Um, we think we can do it better ourselves. We're not perhaps completely clear what it is we want 
somebody to help us with. But when I was just commencing my business, I realized one day to my horror that I was starting to feel burnt out again. And of course, it was the burnout component that had been one of the things that had driven me to start studying time management in the early days. What I did was I, I realized several things. Not only was I getting exhausted and burnt out and feeling that I needed some help, I couldn't afford it, but I was, that was the feeling that I had. But the rather scary thought when I analyzed it was that I didn't exactly know where my day was going. So I suppose you could say I did a time log, but it was a little bit broader than that. I got a sheet of paper and I drew up three columns with the two ones on the right being quite narrow columns. The first column was I wrote down everything that I did on an average week. I also added the number of all of the things I could think of that I did less frequently, like there were some monthly tasks. I put them on the list as well. The second column, I put down the number of hours on average per week that I was spending in each of those tasks. And the ones I did less frequently, I just put a percentage. So if it was four hours a month, I just put one. The third column was the number of hours that I, if I had somebody else that to give some of the work to that would be at a lower pay rate than what I wanted to pay myself, um, how many of the hours that I was doing could I uh, appropriately pass on to somebody else that didn't have the same skill set as myself? Well, it was a pretty um, enlightening experience, actually, Brian, because the second column, were, there was 80 hours a week that showed up. And I'm going, oh, shucks. <laughs> actually, I said something else in that, but I won't repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, no wonder I'm tired. This mm. is ridiculous. But the real shock came when I got to the third column because the hours that that showed up were 40 hours a week. Again, this is seriously ridiculous. A half of the work that I'm doing could be done by somebody else, and they don't have to be really highly skilled. It's got routine stuff. And because so, and, when we first start a business, we are a jack of all trades for absolutely everything. But the thing is, we won't ever get our business to the next stage if we don't delegate some of that stuff. Yeah, letting letting go, isn't it? We're, we're, I think people in business, started businesses particularly, tend to be pretty much the drivers from that point of view. And, and often delegating is hard because they, they, they just can't let go. They just feel it's, it's their baby and nobody can do it better than them. How, how do you overcome that? Well, I think at the end of the day, you have to have a serious talk with, you, with yourself and say, yeah. well, how big do I want my business to be? How much mm. money do I really want to make? If we can lift up above, again, do the helicopter view on our business life and our life and our income opportunities and recognize that if we stay doing the things that somebody at a lower pay rate than us could do, we're going to continue to pay ourselves that lower pay rate. That's one thing. And we're blocking our opportunities because there's a lost opportunity cost. There are only just so many hours in the day. And Absolutely. if we keep on doing the low-level stuff, we're never going to get to the high-level stuff because we won't have headspace. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, it, it, it's a, I suppose it's a vicious um, sort of trap you get into from the beginning, isn't it? So re, as you say, reaching that stage where you feel comfortable, you can delegate and you can afford to, you just have to bite the bullet. And uh, I take your point, you've got to decide what sort of income you want to achieve. Yes. Um, and it applies as well, doesn't it, to, you know, to one's personal life from the point of view of actually having a business and maintaining a lifestyle, which is um, often um, almost an oxymoron from the point of view of a lot of people in business who, uh, who just find they can't fit both of them in. 
especially people with an entrepreneurial mindset, and that's the sort of people that you've got on your program and on your database, Brian. We're all entrepreneurial, so we are by nature fairly driven people and always wanting to do the best and achieve the most and all that sort of stuff. So um, it, it, we do sometimes need to take ourselves in hand, but um, I just want to pick up on another point there. You, you talked about personal life as well. It might be that you're delegating some of the things in your personal domestic situation, like getting a cleaner. Um, it might be paying for somebody to do the ironing, having a gardener perhaps. What is it that gives you enjoyment to do those things, but the things you're not enjoying, get somebody else to do them? And, of course, the other point is how can I afford it when I'm only just getting started? Well, you start small. And what happened for me with that first experience was very quickly, I, within a matter of a week or so, uh, a friend of mine uh, had a conversation to uh, tell me that she was in a similar situation of overwhelm and too much to do and feeling exhausted, etc. What we ended up finding was a young girl off a government work scheme, and I believe you do have some of those arrangements in Australia sometimes mm, too. Mm, absolutely. And so we got a young lass off a government work scheme, which the government funded for six months of half her wage, and we job shared her. So I had half a person for a quarter of a wage. And by the end of the six months, both of us could afford to have somebody. We, my friend took the young lass and had her work for her full time, and I had I got a school mum. And school mothers only want short hours, and they are often in your location. And they mm. are such a brilliant resource because they're often very highly skilled. Absolutely, there's so many there. As you say, highly skilled come from often professional and very well, a variety of backgrounds, but don't want to work beyond the sort of. Nine or ten till three o'clock—that type of thing—which which fits in ideally with a growing business, doesn't it? Certainly does. And if you can be flexible about school hours as well, um, and holidays mm. as well, and either give them short time or let them do work from home, yeah. um, it, it just expands. And in actual fact, the woman who's now my office manager is absolutely brilliant. Started out in that capacity. Her kids are pretty much all left home now. She's living in Christchurch, and I'm in Auckland, so we're we're a thousand miles away from each other, but we work virtual, and it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in, in looking at that, that's I suppose the natural sort of follow-on from that is to is to look at the point of view of both the soft and hard copy sort of paper war from the point of view of documentation we get coming in, all the sorts of paperwork, things like you know bills and and reports and you know tracking income, chasing up chasing up payments, those sorts of things. What sort of tips do you give us to ease the pressure on those sorts of fields, oh, Robin? That's a goodie. It's one of my favourites, actually, Brian. Um, there's many levels that I could take that conversation, but let me just give some practical things. Let's assume that somebody listening hasn't got a PA or an assistant and, and, and they're having to manage it all themselves. One of the phrases I use uh, frequently when we're talking about this uh, and some of the listeners might not like it very much but I'm going to say it anyway um, every piece of paper information or equipment lying around is a symptom of a decision not made or an action not completed so what that's really saying is that if we've got things lying around it's because we haven't put them in their final resting place or in a progressive place that we can find them again quickly because if you ask people why they've got stuff lying around in their offices it'll be mainly because they don't want to lose sight of it or there's still an action to be done on it and I've I've identified that there are really three strands to this like I had my 
my um, toolbar of time with the four elements of the main constructs of time with the paper handling, whether it be digital or electronic, it doesn't matter, but the same three apply. First of all, let's just stay physical for a moment with your office. There's the layout and equipment. Um, have you got the right layout? Have you got the right gear? Um, the second element is to clean up the clutter and set up good systems. And the third element is to maintain the systems, which is the bit about the decision making. So if we just come back um, for a second to the layout and equipment, have you got people, depending on the environment, somebody that's working in their own home, getting a business established, they probably haven't got lots of distractions. But if you're in a situation where you're working with other people or other people are coming into your space, have you got people walking immediately into your eye range and how many times a day are you distracted by those people coming in? Because one of the biggest issues that people struggle with, and we talked about it in very, uh, just briefly when we talked about email, but there's also the physical interruptions and there's the self-interruptions as well. So uh, what are you doing to block other people coming in? Where's your desk space? You can get back as much as an extra hour a day if you're in a busy environment, but your desk, you're not looking at, towards people as they walk towards you. So that's one element. Um, and have you got the right gear? Like uh, for an example of that would, was a, a gentleman in the finance field who realised that he, he got another small printer at his desk and didn't have to walk through another office to get to his print jobs. He, could, he saved himself half an hour a week. That doesn't sound a lot, but I bumped into him in a conference again last year and he was so excited. He said, it's about eight or nine years, Robin, since I heard you talk about that and I went and got my printer. And he said, I calculate I've saved $20,000 because I went and got that little printer on my desk. Mm, how much more efficient? Absolutely. On top of all that, because if it means you, you, you're staying in the energy sort of space you want to be in if you're doing a task. So you haven't got to sit down, come back, sit down and get back into it again. You, you, you're sort of able to work with continuity and a lot, a lot smoother and more effectively, I suppose. That's exactly it. Mm. And, and, there's a, and, and following on that one, it, it doesn't necessarily just link with the paper, but it's a good um, strategy, is chunking your activities. So what you just said is a form of chunking. And, and the other interesting thing to that, because I may not get back to it, so I'll mention it now, is that if we take an interruption, self-induced or from another source, it takes us between 15 to 20 minutes most of the time to get fully centred and um, focused back on what we were doing before. So it's not just the time that man got up and went off to go to the printer and back and the side conversations he had and all of the interruptions he was causing to the other people in the other office, but it was how long does it take to really get centred back on, on, on task again. That, that's huge, isn't it? And I think it's something that a lot of us ignore but wonder why we struggle from time to time. Yes. And that's exactly why. It is exactly why. There's a lot of research on that one, in fact, by an organisation in the States, a not-for-profit one about information overload. I can't remember the exact title of it. But uh, people like Intel, the um, computer people, um, Microsoft, Google, and all these people that are helping to create the information overload yes. <laughs> are all working to try and help us minimise it as well. And they've done research that shows that, and there's slight variations in the figures, but between 25 to 28% of a knowledge worker's day is wasted with poor productivity due to interruptions of one sort or another. Oh, that's massive, isn't it? That's huge. Absolutely massive. 
and with and, and I can see why you're uh, um, you're referring to it because when we look at time management, we look at output. I mean, this is just a huge factor. You're literally losing 25, 30 percent of your effective output. Um, that's massive, isn't it? And it's because there goes your weekend. It is. It's huge. It, it's invisible, you see, because people think this is the way it has to be. I'm actually not much of a proponent for open plan environments. I, I really believe that they uh, only serve a very small number of people. I've done research on it, but um, anyway, I'll sidetrack too much if I go into detail on that one. Let me just say with a couple of other things with the paper handling and the setting up of the offices, because you were asking me about mm, that. Mm. So there's the the layout and the equipment. There's cleaning out the clutter and, and setting up good systems. Uh, and that's when you're doing the sort out, just chunking things so that you've got like with like. And you, when you're doing your sort, and you'll find all of the unnecessary things, the wasted paper, the duplicates, the old stuff that's now irrelevant, they'll show up if you're doing a sort. And I explain that more um, in depth in my book, Getting a Grip on the Paper War. And, and there's a small chapter on it in Getting a Grip on Time as well. And then, um, so there's, there's the setting it up, and and then the third point is maintaining the systems as the, as the, um, decision-making process. Now, in, when we're talking in that area, there are only four things that we can do with paper. Read, act, file, or throw. So the decision, I've got a little decision matrix. Um, that's, I can't describe it. Well, I can describe it, but it's not, can't be visual for you over the telephone, I'm sorry. But the first decision to make is do I act myself or do I pass it on? Then the next decision, if it's passed it on, obviously it's gone, it's out of your way. The next decision, if it's act, if it's for you to act, is act on it now or act on it later. You see, what a lot of people will do is, and I think I touched on it before, they'll leave things lying around because they don't want to lose sight of them. And it's legitimate because many of us are visual. So although we've heard the story about handle every piece of paper once only and we're trying to make it work like that, if we did that, we'd never get the real work done because we'd be dealing with minutiae all the time. So that's, that's not the answer either. So the act now... The things that we can do quickly, so it might be a chunk of time that you're doing your emails. The things that you can handle fast and within a couple of minutes, do them fast. So I call it my two-minute rule. Um, if it's um, some like bills to pay or something and you're doing a chunk of bills, get them done quickly all in one hit. However, there's always going to be a bunch of things that are to do later, act later. Those are the ones that will get left lying around and will start to clutter your space. There are three steps to do there, and they're not optional. Step one is decide when. When is it that you're going to work on this thing? And if it's a biggish task, step two then would kick in is to mark it. Well, at any time, it's mark it into your diary or put, set up your system. If you're using an electronic system, um, you can drag an email. Suppose some information has arrived by email. It's something that's a project or components of a project that you're working on. You don't want to leave it sitting in your inbox because that's just as bad as physical clutter. Mm. Instead, you can drag it and drag and drop it into your calendar and create an appointment with yourself in your um, electronic calendar to work on that item. The email, and a lot of people don't know this, the email will still stay in the folder that you've got it in, in your um, email system. And it will drag into, especially in Outlook, Lotus is slightly different, but still does the same thing, essentially. 
it, it will come into the calendar with all of the information. You don't have to rewrite or retype anything, and it will stay in the um, email system as well. So if it's a paper diary that you're using, just make sure that you block in a chunk of time on the appropriate day that you want to start the project. And then step three of that process is then you can put the paper away somewhere off your desk in a folder that you know you're going to find it in. And if you're not sure that you will find it again, when you've made the diary entry, just say where you've put the documentation. Now that's that's an invaluable bit of advice there, I think, because uh, it is it is a dilemma. And as you say, you you really and I like the two minute rule um, because how often do you get into you start your working day and an hour later you find you're still handling emails yes. because you've responded to something and and that one thing follows another and then before you know it you're doing a sending an email out and replying to other people and getting involved in generating correspondence and. In actual fact, you've just become uh, to totally you know, a servant of the system, if you like. You have. And, and a huge distinction is, are we being reactive or are we being proactive? And, and mm. email drives us into reactivity. In fact, so, the, the issue is that email is addictive. Mm. Oh, well, so you've got to watch all of us, most of us, a lot of us these days with, our, us, with yeah. our mobile mobile devices and uh, and then you start looking at Facebook as well. I mean, goodness me, it becomes uh, all-consuming, doesn't it? If you let it. Yeah, if you let it. So, you know, brings us on, I suppose. We, we touched on it briefly earlier, but technology from the point of view of the way it's all changed and becoming smarter and more accessible, I suppose, you know, almost every few months as a bit of a revolution comes out with regards to, um, you know, um, the sort of equipment, particularly mobile equipment and what you can achieve with it and all that sort of thing. And then it's, it's taken a long time, but, you know, the cloud seems to be making its place now and people are beginning to move over to that type of um, system for managing, you know, for their, their software and so forth. Um, what, what, what's the pros and cons from that point of view? Is it really made life easier or is it just, just make choices more difficult? It really... Well, yes, it has made life easier and it's made life harder. And we've touched on a number of the reasons already. It comes back again, and I did use the phrase, I think, earlier on, is that we educate the people around us how to treat us. We also need to, sort of an underpinning thought on that one, is we need to be able to control our digital environment rather than the other way around, so that, and I think I said it slightly differently, so that we're the master, not the servant of the of the um, equipment, the software, the applications that we've got available to us. The, and a, a, there's so many wonderful, wonderful time-saving ways that we can do things, but let's not just do it just because we can. Let's do it because it's a, uh, going to be of value. And I think it, it's this wonderful dichotomy of life, Brian, that as things become supposedly more time-saving, Theoretically, it frees up time, but what do we do with that time that we've freed up? So constantly we have to be sort of stepping into our helicopter and getting up above it and saying, okay, if this saves me time and it saves me money, does that mean that I then go and do more um, more of everything else, or is it going to improve my quality of life? So when is enough enough? You know, I suppose that's where looking, looking these days at the, the migration to, you know, Google Chrome and... Um, you know things like Facebook and so forth, where there's all all these extra demands. Um, 
and the challenge is, I guess, these things come along and they're all supplementary to what we do at the moment. It's not as if they're replacing something else. You say, oh, good, I don't have to do this anymore. Suddenly, hey, I've got to find time to do that. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It, 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 it certainly can be. If you haven't got delegation mastered um, and, and you want to be, you make the decision to actually be out there and participate in these these social media um, channels and so forth, then, yeah, it certainly can be, as you say, it's addictive. Yes. Um, Let me give you an example of how I've been um, dealing with it. I've, I've been, I've got a Facebook, I've got a blog, I've got a website, I'm always writing articles, many of them go online these days, there's lots of books and things like that. So for your listeners, by the way, there's lots of free resources on my website and also my blog. Um, but I'm... We need to say which strategies are going to be the ones that are pertinent to ourselves and outsource as much as we can as many of the other things. So essentially I've got somebody else that manages my Facebook for me most of the time, my business Facebook, um, and separate your business Facebook from your personal Facebook. Look at the market that's right to you. So for me, it's certainly my website, which I've pretty much got sorted now. I'm now going putting more focus, in my case, onto my blog because that's, um, it's, it's, got, it's a very dynamic methodology, but that's just my own personal thing. Um, and then LinkedIn is another very good one for professional people, which I haven't really got fully refined yet. So if you're going to add something else and do it, um, not don't rush to do it, do it, build it into the processes that you're already doing and make sure that it doesn't drive you, it's the other way around. But the outsourcing and getting other people to support you with bits that you're not very good at is so important it's and to tough. guide that I always say what is it that lights me up and where are mm. my greatest skill sets so the things that I am in flow with and really enjoy doing make sure that I've got enough time to do those things and not get bogged down with the minutia yeah and I, I, I think what I've struggled with is just accepting that I'm not going to really be right on top of Facebook and these different things because I just don't have the time unnecessarily. It's not necessarily my aptitude to really understand them in depth. Mm. Um, you just have to accept that you need someone else to do it for you and um, take it from there. Absolutely, if you decide that it's important. And I think that leads us to a really a good point towards the end of this conversation too, Brian. I'm becoming more and more interested in the whole field of simplicity. Mm. Um, bono. Well, does De Bono talk about it as well? He's got a book actually called Simplicity. Does he? I didn't yeah, even know years that. Years ago, but uh, yeah, it's still it's it's still available. I think it's worth a read, but I won't distract right. our listeners or you. Well, um, I, it's something that I've been thinking about and, and practicing for a long time. And I, the the more simple we can make our lives, the better quality of life we get, and the more things and devices we have around us. The, even the higher level of awareness we need in order to make sure that our, we're living the life we want, not one that's consumed by all these um, really um, impersonal devices that could consume our time if we want to let them. There's, there's a, a wonderful, I can't quote it verbatim, but uh, a wonderful comment of Albert Einstein's way before the time of the electrical revolution, if you like, and so forth. But um, and it applies particularly to things like when you when you're at the beginning of your exercise with your time management, you're looking at your diagnostics and so forth, um, and putting systems together. 
his, his comment was worse than that. Keep it as simple as you possibly can, but not too simple. Yes, good. So you've got to better understand it, but once you understand it, that's as much as you need to do. That's Don't right. go into all the little bits and pieces and detail. And uh, a, a lot of people um, uh, have that habit of being too technical, too detailed, and wanting to basically, um, I suppose, explain every little nuance. And the fact is, it's not necessary. No, it's not. It's, it, it, the simplicity is what drives me. Uh, simplicity in the way of explaining things, giving people simple structures that they can build their time choices around, all of those things. And, and cutting out um, unnecessary belongings, cutting away unnecessary mm. subscriptions, um, have it, taking less journals, not more. Mm. Um, use these wonderful tools that we have. They're brilliant. But get the summary versions of things. You don't yeah. need to read, spend two hours reading the Saturday paper. You can look on, at the headlines online and get the gist of what's happening in the world without getting bogged down with all of the crap that goes with it. So every now and again, go through your emails and hit a few unsubscribe buttons because exactly. uh, you're getting distracted. Yes, yeah. just not my easy, though. No, no, no. no. <laughs> or yours. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. Well, look, um, that's been absolutely amazing. What, what I'd ask you, perhaps you can give us a little bit of a summary, um, just what, what are the most common tips you give to people? You, you've okay, probably, you've I'll, probably I'll given us several going through there, but just to, just to summarise briefly, what are the, the lifesavers? All right. Get well, you I've into the lifeboat off the Titanic. <laughs> I've got on the back of my business card, actually, I've got eight top time tips for you. I'll just read them out, Brian, because they summarise things pretty well, really. Uh, number one, no is your most powerful time management tool. Number two, every week block in a few non-urgent actions. Number three, constantly ask, what is my highest priority right now? Number four, how can I do this task more efficiently? Number five, schedule in regular sanity gas. That's time out for yourself. Number six, manage your energy well and time looks after itself. Number seven, eliminate clutter in all areas of your life. And number eight, and we haven't talked about this, and it's kind of a reverse of what you do, but don't make email the first thing of the day. I will qualify that, is that if you're going to be off doing something away from your computer or you're bringing, getting things in from overseas, you might need to have a quick look at it. But the problem with a lot of people is that if they do email first thing in the day, they get sidetracked with it, and as you so beautifully described, they'll end up spending sort of an hour or more consumed with yeah. it. Yeah, look, even less than that... I I I find sometimes I I sort of open my emails reluctantly yes. because I want to be in a particularly if I'm trying to do something creative I'm trying to write something yes and I know I just get distracted um, it's almost it's almost a compulsion to open it and have a sticky beak yes um, but it gets you right off track if you're coming into something Absolutely. and you just I like you said you like to write first thing in the day um, so you recommend that. You know, periodically you actually defer looking at your emails for a while and get stuck in while your energy is high. And Absolutely, I do. There's many times, don't expect anyone to, uh, don't expect me to answer an email first thing in the day. Occasionally I will if I'm out on the road um, or there's an article I've got to send to an editor and I've gone in there and I have got sidetracked, but it's very rare for me to do emails first thing in the day. Mostly I won't start them until looking at them until somewhere between 10 o'clock and midday. Okay, that's something I want to take on board and try. Well, look, everybody, I hope you've all picked up a lot of information there, and certainly uh, there's a few things that um, I certainly know from my conversations with Robin and 
from what I've picked up today that are, I think are absolutely gems. Certainly that no, um, turning off the emails is something that I think that's critically important. And, and I agree entirely with the, um, uh, the, the colleague you, you mentioned who put the printer in their office, just a small printer on the, next to the desk to save going off to the, the community printing centre. That's a huge thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think the thing to learn for me is just, re- just recognising, actually. It's acknowledging that it does take you 15 or 20 minutes to get back on track when you do allow yourself to be distracted, whether by email, phone, or whatever it might be. So, um, look, I know you, on your website um, you did have an interesting little exercise where you, I think, went to a television station. Oh, yes. Is that still up there? Uh, yes, yes, it is, as a matter of fact, Brian. Um, if everyone likes to have a look at gettingagrip.com, um, down on the bottom, there's a, along the bottom bar, there's something there about videos. If you just click on any of those, you'll see, you'll come, or if you go gettingagrip.com slash videos, I think you get there as well. And there's, there's a couple of TV things there, and there's various, oh, in fact, there's a number of things that have been done for TV, um, little videos. But also, I do encourage people to register for the free report, which is how to master time in only 90 seconds. And then you'll get some of those videos and other free reports and, and then our ongoing uh, newsletter as well, which, of well, course, I'll, you can unsubscribe. I'll, from I'll put that in the reminder I send out to people as well, because I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. So um, now I'd just like to ask if anyone out there does have any questions at all. If you do, just a reminder, press star six. And um, just just raise your, mention who you are and raise your question, and uh, we'll put it to to Robin. Okay, no one at this stage. I'm not surprised. We've covered a lot, but it opens a, a lot of interesting challenges, and I think that's where a reference to the website is something that uh, I think people are finding valuable. So, look, I'll take the opportunity of wrapping up the call now, and um, on behalf of How to Franchise Simply and the people online, I'd like to thank Robin um, really um, most sincerely for making the time available and giving us this uh, tremendous information. Um, really helpful, and it's something that I think everyone can gain from. So, Robin, I don't know if you've got anything to say in closing, but I'd just like to basically close by saying thank you, and would you like to just say your uh, your greetings? Well, I'd just like to say thank you to you, Brian. I've, as always, enjoyed spending the time with you. So I wish everybody just the very best with your franchising uh, endeavours. It's a, a fascinating area and a wonderful business opportunity and if there's any questions that you've got at any time don't, don't hesitate to email me which is robin at gettingagrip.com we'll go and have a look and see what's on the website Brilliant. there's masses of resources there Lovely. thanks Brian ok well thank you and thank you everybody we'll terminate the recording there and talk to you next month 